Some of you have been finding Christmas gifts for your children, your grandchildren, maybe nieces or nephews, but there is an unwritten rule that you have to do when you buy those gifts. And the rule is this, you got to make sure that when you give different gifts to different kids, it needs to be fair, right? You don't take one of the kids and go to the dollar figure, let's go to the dollar store for Ben over here, and then Susie over here, you break the bank. That's not how you're supposed to do Christmas gifts, is it? See, we have this belief that everything needs to be equal. Now, I have to admit, there's a tension for me when I hear about this and looking to my past. My birthday is close enough to Christmas, okay? Now, you know the rest of the story for some of you that are there. Is that we're going to give you a little bit more on the Christmas gift and we'll call it good for your birthday. I was scarred for life. Please don't laugh. (laughs) Okay, it's all right, you can laugh. Isn't that true, though? We tend to compare gifts. Matter of fact, I gave Deanna snow tires for Christmas. I'm just waiting to see what she's going to give me. And compare, okay? Many of you know the prodigal son. Remember the comparison that goes on even there where... The son that rebelled comes home, dad throws a party, and the older son goes, it's not fair. The gifts, the amount, all of that. Do you see how we compare? And matter of fact, I would even say it this way. We compare blessings of what God gives to each of us. We look at it some other family or some other situation, and God is blessing them, but, no. It's not fair. It's not fair. But here is really a biblical truth in this. God gives gifts. Do you believe that? That God is a generous giver. And listen to this one. He decides what is fair. He decides it. Now, Christmas season in itself is a reminder that our Father in heaven has given us the gift of gifts himself. That is the incarnation, that the greatest gift of all, incomparable to anything else, is that he has given himself, his son, to us. And we did not deserve it. Why? Because we started out as enemies of God. We were dead in our sins. And according to Paul, we were slaves to sin. And we thumbed our noses at God. And we declared our independence. And we declared that we get the right to decide what is right. And what's wrong. What is fair and what's not fair. We claim the right to decide how we should love and to whom we should love. But folks, in spite of all that, 
that we declared our independence, he has still chosen to give himself to us. And Christmas is a reminder of that, of that he gave himself through the incarnation, becoming man. And that gives us a path to solve that old, old problem of sin. But we must realize that God planned it as well. He planned it. A little bit later, not right now, but we're going to go to Galatians 4. There's a phrase in there that says, when the fullness of time had come, it was just the right time. God chose just the right time to send his son into the world. Just the right time for the incarnation. Just the right time for the crucifixion. Just the right time for the resurrection. It was the right time to fulfill the promises that are filled that are all over the Old Testament. The promises pointing to a child at just the right time. The right time for salvation to come into the world. Born in a manger. Not a nice hospital. In a manger. It was just the right time. Born to a young virgin girl. 13, 14, many believe. At just the right time. And then to an embarrassed husband, Joseph who becomes just at the right time an earthly father for this little child that was born. But here's where I, I need to go this morning. Because there are other gifts that God has given us. Himself is one. But there is a second gift that I want to highlight this morning, and it's deeply connected, yes, to the gift of gifts, but it is a deeper reality of Christmas. And it's often forgotten. We do not celebrate it. Matter of fact, I can't recount a single TV show at Christmas time that highlights this critical point. And it's a gift that should compel us to gratitude. And my prayer today is that as we look at this, it would create a desire within our hearts to give back love toward God and to worship Him during this season and beyond. See, there is a gift other than, than Himself that is monumental. And in your notes, if you're following along, this is the gift. The main point. And this is the only one I have in that bulletin you'll notice this morning. Christmas calls us to remember the profound gift of being adopted into the family of God. This second gift is the right and the privilege to become an adopted child. God adopted us. And it needs to be remembered during the Christmas season and beyond. I want to put up the first verse, two verses here. From 1 John chapter 3. Look how they read. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. 
But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Now, verse 1, you, you got to catch this, and we don't really catch it in the English at times, but it is a very strong, intense verse. That phrase, that is what we are, with an exclamation point there. It is something profound. John understands it as something profound. And it's more than just saving us. See, Christmas calls us to be excited about the fact That God has adopted us. Now, I don't know if you know the context of this book, 1 John, obviously written by John. John was one of the few, the only apostle that they know of that wasn't killed and martyred for his faith. He actually died an old man. But they believe that John actually wrote this book and he would have been in his mid-80s. In his mid-80s. And for some of us who are a bit older, okay, i got to point something out here in the context of this, even this book. John's tone. And again, we don't really catch it. But he is writing it with urgency and excitement and intensity. It's kind of like this. Look, listen. You can't imagine what I have to tell you. We are God's children. You know, but here's the deal. As we get older, we get grumpier. And you want to admit that? Just look around at some of the grumpy people around right now. (laughs) We get up in the morning, we got aches and pains. But the question, I I think in light of the circumstances of this book, are we excited about the love of God and what he's doing as we get older? It shouldn't fade. It should get more intense. See, here's an elderly man nearing the end of his life who still gets excited about the love of God. See, John knew that God's love given given to us was a gift Sonship, daughtership, I don't know if that's a word technically, but it was a gift. Now you're going, wait a second here. This is connected to Christmas? What about the baby in the manger thing? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to another text because I'd encourage you to highlight it, to underline it, because the text describes this gift from the Father, the gift of adoption and spiritual adoption is at the core of Christmas. And it's easy again not to focus on it. Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, that's Christmas. The right time God put the incarnation in motion and a baby was born to a virgin mom. That was the fullness of time. God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Incarnation at the right time to deal with the old problem of sin. But look what is next. So that, so that 
we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Folks, this verse declares one of the key purposes of Christmas. At the right time, the Son of God comes born into the world. Yes, we celebrate the birth of a child. But just at the right time, again, this is, God wasn't some, oh, by the way, maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. No. At the right time. See, God was in control when Christmas was to begin. Yes, to redeem those who were under the law. And why? Because of our rebellion again, our independence, mankind's violation of God's laws. And the fact is, we start off, you, you know that we start off in spiritual slavery to sin and its consequences. And then the good news, the blood of Jesus, to shed the blood, that, that was the price that was paid to redeem us, to purchase us from domination, the condemnation of sin. But we must catch this and much soak it in so that, so that we could be adopted. Just the right time. Christmas came to start the relationship of adoption. You got to hear this. Redemption has a higher and more ultimate goal than simply to deliver us from the problem of sin. See, way too often we stop with redemption in our appreciation in dealing with sin. But if it stops there, if we never understand this adoption thing, if you never get it, you will be stunted in your faith development. If you don't learn to appreciate God... Be, if the only thing is because he kept you out of hell, you will have a spiritually stunted life if that's the farthest you go. We must get to that place that we realize so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. See, do you connect Christmas with this gift through faith that God made you a son and a daughter of God the Father. And I don't think we should let a day pass without our hearts being stirred to this gift. If you are in Christ, God adopted you. And if that doesn't stir something within your hearts and your souls, something is wrong spiritually. But let me put back on the screen 1 John here again, verse 3. Look at this. Understand this. This word see here, it's both the mind and experience. See and, and experience how much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But then you notice the contrast here. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Now, for some people here, maybe Galatians 4 doesn't resonate with you deeply. You know, and as I was thinking about it, there's 
possible couple reasons there. First, maybe you've just lost sight of the fact of his grace given through the gift of his son, Jesus. You just don't ponder it enough. Or maybe second, maybe this doesn't resonate with you, what I'm talking about, because maybe the second part of the text applies to you. It implies, you understand, there's a group of people who will spend eternity separated from God. They don't know Him. They can have knowledge about Him. See, but there are people who are not spiritually adopted. They're not sons and daughters of God. See, one is not a child just from the fact that we are born into this world. We're all born. And in one sense, we're all, yeah, we're all God's children. But in the spiritual sense, that's not true. There has to be a second birth, a rebirthing that brings us into the adoption as a son or daughter. Let me show you our key verse for our theme for this whole building project. And it fits here. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now this space that we're celebrating today is not just about a nice place to worship. And it is. But it's got to go farther than that. See, if this place is only about better sound, a better atmosphere, we are missing something. Because it is about the people and about the hearts of people. And that verse. We want a people filled, this room filled with people who are experiencing a heart change. A new spirit. We're people who had hearts of stone. And where the Spirit of God comes in and gives them a new soft heart, a moldable heart. That's what this gathering represents. But here's what we got to figure out, is that recognize that all of us, understand this, and I'll use this word orphan, all of us started out as spiritual orphans. They had hearts of stone. See, but we're born into this world with no spiritual family. We're born separated again from God. The God would not let the world go. He never gave up on creation. He loves this world. So Christmas, when the fullness of time had come, because of that love, God has sent his son into this world. He became a man. Born to a young woman with the purpose to die, to pay for the penalty for our sins, so that, so that we can become and move from being an orphan to his very child. And please recognize here, and I think if you grow up in the church, there's kind of this tension that you feel. I've felt it growing up, my parents knew, knew God. But just because we grow up in a Christian home where parents know God, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're adopted by God. It's not about your mom and dad. 
Your heritage, your ancestry, family tree have no significance on this issue. You can be descended from world-renowned Christians. You can be Billy Graham's relative. There's no adoption based on shirt tails. And whether you have a Billy Graham for a dad or whether your parents lived on the street, it doesn't matter. You know, a number of parents here, you, um, you've adopted children. I applaud you for that. And a number of you grew up, you were adopted. I'm guessing that there's some that were adopted here. You know, this week, when I was looking at this, this text, I had some curiosity about adoption and what does the state say about the adoption process. So I, I bumped into Carla King and I just asked her, would you just email me a picture of the adoption papers? And I don't know if you've ever seen some. I want to show you some and put some on the screen for you. And there was kind of three sections that I pulled out, kind of conclusions. The first one was conclusions of the law. This is the official state of Minnesota of, of how it's kind of, configured in the in the judgment all allegations in the petition have been proven and it is in the best interest of the child that from this date for all legal intents and purposes the child should be the child of the above named adopting parent and a decree of adoption should be issued that's kind of right up front in the papers but then there's second one what's called the order of judgment let me put that on the screen here it is therefore ordered and decreed that the petition for adoption is granted. That said child is the child of, and then you would put the parent's name in there, and that the child's name shall be, and that's usually written in there, and that judgment and decree shall be entered accordingly. This is all very official language, okay? Then there's a third uh, section, the judgment and the decree of adoption. And look how it reads. Now pursuant to the said order of judgment, it is hereby adjudged and decreed that from and after this date, said child, having been given the name of by the adopting parents, shall be deemed and taken to be the child and the heir of the adopting parents in all respects as though born to the adopting parents. And then there would be the parent's name there. As I was digging, I, I, my mind kind of goes in different directions, I acknowledge that. But I had to go, okay, this word adoption, I go, where did it come from and how did Paul understand it? So I started doing some digging and here's what I discovered. The word adoption during that time was not referring to the Jewish culture, it was referring to the Roman culture. Understand in the Jewish culture, adoption didn't have the meaning like we know it today. Matter of fact, if you remember, if you remember reading the scriptures, if a, if a guy is married, he had children, and he died, remember where does the responsibility go to? A brother. The family was supposed to step in and basically take the children. If there was an orphan, if there was that understanding of it, Okay. So this really wasn't a Jewish thing that Paul's writing about. He's referring to the Roman culture here. And here's where it was really interesting because the Roman culture, understand this, they didn't care about God. They didn't care. 
Matter of fact, okay, if, if a couple had a baby, this was perfectly legal. They could look at that child and say this, do we want them or not? And at that moment, they could just give the child away. They were not obligated to keep the child. So if a couple didn't, I don't want it, I don't, we don't want children, they just would give the child away. And it was normal to do that in that culture. Very pagan, very perverse, okay? But when the child was born biologically, it just, it wasn't that sense of, this is mine, it, 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 obviously, depending on their character. But here's where it was different in that culture when it came to adoption, okay? If the child was adopted in Rome, when adopting a child, it meant this, is that the child was freely chosen by the parents. And listen to this phrase, desired by the parents. A desire. And now this child in an adopted in the Roman culture, it was to be a permanent part of the family. The parents could not disown an adopted child. They couldn't disown it. There was almost more weight on the adopted child than there was on the child that was born. Their biological child. The adoption thing was very, very strong. Matter of fact, I want to show you a quote that I came across that just mirrors what we're talking about today. Look at, look at what it, the author said here. An adopted child received a new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, and debts were erased. New rights and responsibilities were taken on. Also in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was part of life, not something that began at death. Being adopted made someone an heir to their father's joint shares in all of his possessions and fully united to him. You catch the weight of that? The weight of it? Folks, that's what Galatians 4 is telling us. See, ponder what it means. As followers of Christ, when we have been adopted by God, it gives us intense power and significance that God is now our Father. We are joint heirs with Him. We enter into that relationship now. It's not even just the future. So let me put up a verse. And I think we kind of see Paul's mindset. Look at Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs with God, and fellow heirs with Christ. That's Christmas. See, it's supposed to be a constant reminder that we are fully desired by God. We are fully loved by God. 
We have taken on a new identity because God has adopted us. And Christmas, maybe primarily, is supposed to be about our identity in being loved and adopted by God. And now we are heirs to God, co-heirs with Christ. That is what Christmas is about as well. It's not just the manger. We're called to get excited about this. This is Christmas, that we were once orphans, and now we are adopted sons and daughters of God. Let me put what Minnesota State says, the judgment and decree of adoption back on the screen for you. Now, pursuant to the said order of judgment, it is hereby adjudged and decreed that from and after this date, said child having been, the, been given the name of, put your name in that line right now, if you know him, by the adopting parent, God the Father, shall be deemed and taken to be the child and the heir of the adopting parents in all respects as though born to the adopting parent. Who is he? It is the folks. It's God the Father and it's the triune God. We celebrate that we are adopted and that we are now heirs and co-heirs and that we have a new identity. We were once an orphan and now we are a child of God. That is Christmas. How many Christmas movies have you seen on this one? I don't think I've ever seen it. Do you see your name there? Let me ask you a question. Do you see your name in that decree right now? Wouldn't you want your name to be there? If it's not, if you don't see your name there. Or maybe this, are you certain that it's there right now? And if you know it's there, then you were bought into the sonship and you are to celebrate, celebrate Christmas knowing that you are an adopted child, your adopted son and a daughter of God the Father. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And I want to invite us just to respond and end with a couple of songs. But my goal for you coming out of this place today is that you would see that you have a new identity. That Christmas is more than just a baby. Yes, it's a big part of it because that was God becoming man. But there was a purpose behind it that we would be adopted into the family of God. And we become his children. And we have hope. And we have an assurance that the Holy Spirit is with us and walking with us and that he celebrates our adoption from an orphan to a son of God, a daughter of God. I want to pray first and then we want to sing. Father, would you help myself, would you help us to deepen our trust and confidence in you Father, would you give us a childlike faith 
Would you strengthen our identity in you? Would we be certain that we are beloved by you? So, Father, give us your blessings, your mercy, your forgiveness. And I would ask as we walk out of this place today that we would experience a freedom of knowing that we are your children. And we can celebrate that all through this Christmas season. And Father, lead us as a congregation to an ever-deepening freedom and joy and peace that's rooted in the security of your love for us, which resulted in we being adopted by you. So, Father, I, I want to thank you for adopting me, for adopting many of us in this room, and we want to celebrate it today. These things we pray in your name. Amen.